So, Rahab and the Spies, it sounds like almost a Hergé's Adventures of Tintin meets Rahab and the Spies, or even a Harry Potter sort of uh, adventure story, doesn't it? But when we read it, it's, it's a story filled with excitement and hope. It's a great reminder to us all that God is always faithful. If God has promised something, then we can be sure that he's going to keep his promises. So let's just set the scene for our Bible reading. It's about 1,400 years BC. The Israelites have escaped from captivity in Egypt. They wandered the wilderness for 40 years. And it was time for God to give his people the land that he had first promised Abraham and his descendants. A promise repeated to Moses, but Moses wouldn't live to witness the movement of God's people into the promised land. The book of Joshua records that moment when the Israelites eventually make that move into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, the new leader of God's people after the death of Moses. So, the Israelites are camped on the east side of the Jordan River, across from the city of Jericho. Jericho is about 13 miles away, and they're camped in a place, and there's no avoiding this, called Shittim, or Abel Shittim. And Shittim translates as meaning acacia grove, full of acacia trees. Sounds quite suburban, really, doesn't it? Acacia grove. <laughs> but there's about 24,000 of them camped there. So it's quite, quite a, a notable force. And you can imagine the, the king of Jericho and the people of Jericho looking across the valley and seeing this mass of people camped there, thinking, oh, what's going to happen next? You know, I'm sure they're after us. But whilst we're dealing with this strange name of Shittim, remember the Holy Ark of the Covenant? Uh, one of the most revered and holy symbols of faith and the presence of God that the Israelites had made. They'd made it out of God's, at God's command, out of Shittim wood. And if you read Exodus 25, verse 10, it says, Have them make an ark of acacia wood, or Shittim wood, two and a half cubits long, a cubit and a half wide, and a cubit and a half high. And if you want to know what a cubit is, apparently it's from your elbow to the tip of your middle finger. So you can see that shatim wood or acacia wood was a valuable resource to the Israelites. So back to our Bible story. Uh, the Israelites are camped on the east side of the River Jordan across from the city of Jericho. Uh, Jericho is a fortified city. It's well supplied by strong springs which help to make it a, a bit of an oasis. Uh, about five to six miles west of the River Jordan and it's occupied by the pagan-loving Canaanites. And it's believed that the ancient region of Canaan may have included parts of modern-day Israel, Palestine, Lebanon, Syria, and Jordan. And Joshua knew that he had to lead the Israelites into the land that God had promised them. The Israelites had become tired of wandering around in the desert uh, they were ready to build homes and have farms, and the new land was beautiful and good. It was a perfect place to live. 
So before they make their move, Joshua decides to send two spies to scout out the land. And I guess this must have been an exciting time for Joshua because he was sending spies into a land that he himself had spied on 40 years before. Joshua had been one of the 12 spies who Moses had sent out into the land of Canaan to spy out the land before the Israelites were to go in. And it was only he and Caleb who came back and gave a favorable response to a potential invasion. But that invasion didn't happen 40 years previously because of fear and unbelief of all the people and the various spies who were a bit more fearful. And indeed, all the generation of people, 20 year old and upwards, except Joshua and Caleb, would die in the wilderness before the children of Israel could enter the land. So the Israelites wander around for the next 40 years prior to entering the promised land because of their unfaithfulness. Back to our Bible story. In Jericho, the spies that Joshua sent out managed to get past the guarded gates and they go and lodge in the home of Rahab. Her home is built into the city walls, possibly close to one of the entrance gates to the city. Now Rahab is described as a prostitute or harlot, but interestingly the first century Jewish historian Josephus refers to her as an innkeeper. Now, he wasn't always um, renowned for getting things right, so perhaps he just saw the innocent side of her. Um, she is described as a prostitute or harlot in the book, and she go carries that sort of name for the rest of her life. Um, but the biblical text in Joshua uses the word zonar, which actually does mean prostitute. Um, but the consonants that comprise of that word Z, N and H are the same consonants that comprise the Hebrew word for a female who gives food and provisions. She might have been supplying other sorts of provisions as well as just hospitality, I guess. Um, but I guess we'll never really know the true lifestyle of Rahab, um, whether she was a harlot or an innkeeper but she would go on to become a true biblical heroine. Now, of course, it's important to note that Rahab, being a Canaanite woman, would have been the enemy of the Israelite spies, but of course they needed somewhere to stay where they would be inconspicuous. So Rahab's inn seemed like a good place to blend in and not be noticed. And we hear from our Bible reading that Rahab knew that the king of Jericho would want to hurt the spies. So she decides to hide them. But where could she hide them? And then she remembers that up on the roof she's drying flax. Um, it's spread out to dry and that will be the perfect hiding place. So she tells the spies to go up onto the roof, hide under the flax stalks and no one's going to see them there. Now, if you don't know anything about flax, there it is, growing in the English countryside. Beautiful plant, lovely blue flowers. Latin name, Linum usitatissimum, which actually means the most useful plant. 
Now, I can bore for England, telling you all about the benefits of flax. Uh, its seeds, uh, known as linseed, can be pressed into oil. It can be used as hairdressing oil, lubricants, uh, preservatives, fuel for lamps, and it's also used in medicine. It has been used as an emollient for softening and soothing the skin, a demulcent which helps soothe irritated or inflamed skin or mucous membranes, and it's useful in formulations for balms, salves and unguents or healing ointments. And the flax seeds are also uh, high in dietary fibre. They contain a lot of protein as well as iron, calcium, manganese, thiamine, magnesium, phosphorus and copper. They're rich in fat and one of the best plant-based sources of heart-healthy omega-3. Even the byproduct of linseed oil production can be pressed into a cake form and can be fed to cattle. And that's before we get into the fibrous cells of the plant. I told you I can bore for England for this. <laughs> the fibrous cells of the plant can stem, uh, of the stem can be processed into threads. They can be used to make various textiles, such as garments, ropes, torches, shrouds, and even, even fine paper. In fact, the early Egyptians had established many uses for flax, and the Greeks and the Romans extolled its virtues. And in more modern times, flax has been used in alternative medicine, possibly as an effective aid in treating type 2 diabetes, and for those who suffer from high cholesterol and some autoimmune diseases. And some of you may even have flax in your homes because you can make it into lino flooring. Uh, you can turn it into oilcloth, resins, inks, biofuels, and some paints and stains will contain flax, as well as industrial, industrial fiber products such as the interior paneling of some cars. So now you're suitably bored on flax. I'll move on back to our Bible study. Um, so they're hiding under the flax stalks, dry and hung on roof. But the king of Jericho has heard all about these Israelite spies. And he knows that they might attack the city and they might send these spies to reconnoitre the area. So he tells everyone to watch out for strangers. And he was right. Someone had told him, effectively, that spies were staying at Rahab's house. So the king sends soldiers to find them. And when they reached Rahab's house, they bang on the front door, shouting, Bring out the man who came to you and entered your house, house because they've come to spy out the whole land. Now you can imagine at this point Rahab running down the stairs, quickly opening the front door to the king's men. And then she comes up with this idea, uh, an idea to put them off the scent, uh, a diversion, if you like, but also quite a blatant lie. She says to the king's men, yes, two men were here, but they've just left. Uh, if you hurry, you'll catch up with them. And you can imagine the soldiers shouting to each other, come on, quick, they've probably gone towards the river and the fords. So they send, go dashing out of the gate and running after who they believe or where they believe the spies have gone. Meanwhile, the spies are still hiding up on the rooftop. She goes back to them and then they, 
say to her, why had you risked your life to protect us, two foreign enemies? And then she tells them, she says she knew that the Lord God had given the land to the Israelites. She informed them that the rest of the inhabitants of Jericho were also terrified because they had heard how God had parted the Red Sea and how the Israelites had utterly destroyed two other cities. She also acknowledged that their God was the God in heaven and on earth, thereby showing her utter faith and trust in God. So a woman who had previously been part of the Canaanite society where they were uh, pagans, where they worshipped all these strange gods and performed strange practices, suddenly comes to faith, putting her trust in the one true God. And in Joshua 12, sorry, sorry, Joshua 2, verse 11, it says, As soon as we'd heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above, and in earth beneath. Rahab was courageous when she did God's will, even though she was in a dire situation. And she exemplified courage by trusting God and expected success. She didn't allow fear or apprehension to deter her. She not only hid the spies, but also developed a plan to help them escape. And she was so confident that her escape plan would work that she asked that her kindness be repaid by her life being spared and that of her family's too. Because she loved her family and wanted them to be saved from the destruction that she knew would be coming. And the Israelite spies agreed as long as she didn't tell anyone what they were doing. And because Rahab lived on the city wall, she was able to let the spies down through a window of a home with a scarlet-coloured cord. No doubt made out of flax. So that they would not have to go through the gate. And she instructed them to hide in the mountains for three days to give the king's soldiers time to stop their pursuit and allow the pursuing soldiers to come back to Jericho. And then the spies told Rahab to bind the cord, the one that was used to let them down, in the window that they had escaped through. And this would allow God's people, the Israelites, to know where they would find her and her family so that their lives would be spared when they came back to take the city. So she took this believing action, expecting success. And in Joshua 2, verse 21, it says... They departed and she bound the scarlet line in the window. She continued to trust in God, not allowing fear to dissuade her from the agreement she'd made with the spies and kept the information to herself. And she had to keep all this confidence for more than three days as the men hid in the mountains before they returned to Joshua with their report. And when you think about it, effectively, Rahab became the oracle, the prophet of Israel's occupation of the promised land because they went back and told Joshua what Rahab had told them. 
Joshua 6, verse 25 says, And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelt in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. So that's the story of Rahab and the spies. But we're left with a question, aren't we? Why would God use a lying prostitute to further his plans for the people of Israel? Well, I think it shows that whilst the Israelites are God's chosen people and have a special place in God's heart and in history, nevertheless, God's salvation is open to all mankind. Anyone, if they genuinely repent of their sins and have faith and turn away from their sinful life and instead follow God's plans will be rewarded. It may not be easy because we know the devil loves to attack those that are actively working out God's plans. But there's also another difficulty by events recorded in the book of Joshua in the Old Testament because and that concerns the subsequent destruction of the Canaanites. On the one hand, we've got the God of love, and yet he's telling the Israelites to destroy all the Canaanites. Now, I'm not going to say much on this because later on, I think Simon's going to talk about this particular passage, which is later on in Joshua. Um, but I think it helps us to understand that the nation Israel was chosen to be a witness to the word of the true living God. And the Israelites were going to live in the promised land surrounded by heathen nations. And yet they were not to be influenced by the other nations' religions. So I think God instructed his people that they were not to take to themselves any of the elements of the false pagan religions. And effectively, the Canaanites had corrupted and perverted God's truth. They had corrupted themselves to the place, really, where they were beyond saving. They practiced things such as uh, child sacrifice, incest, adultery, temple prostitution, and various other horrific acts. And we read about God's justice going forth against the Canaanites, and it's because they had rejected God and his law. It was a willful rejection and a purposeful rejection. The Canaanites were not innocent. They were morally bankrupt and incorrigible in their wickedness. They weren't ignorant of the God of Israel, but they had rejected him. And God did not want Israel infected with their moral depravity. After the fall of Jericho, Rahab chose to continue to live among the Israelites, and only she had her only she had true faith in her family. But notice her family needed to be inside the house to be protected. And likewise for us, merely knowing that Christ is our shelter from judgment does us no good on its own. We must accept Christ within our hearts and we need to follow him and have faith in his plans for our lives and for the life of this church. In the book of Romans, 
It says, Romans 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And what about this scarlet cord? Do you remember the scarlet cord hung outside Rahab's window? Scarlet rope, the colour of blood. The scarlet rope worked for Rahab as much as the blood of the Passover lamb had worked for the Israelites during the exodus from Egypt. Every home, it says in Exodus 12 verse 13, every home marked with blood was spared death that night. God's mercy and forgiveness of Rahab the harlot was signified by a rope of scarlet thread which becomes a symbol of the blood of Christ. And theologians sometimes refer to the scarlet thread running throughout the Bible and by this they mean the whole of the Bible and the theme of the whole of the Bible is Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for the redemption of mankind. The blood of Christ runs throughout the entire Bible symbolically. It's, a, it's seen in the blood spilt for the sacrifice of animals killed in Eden to provide suitable garments for Adam and Eve. You can see it in the blood of the sacrificed ram that took Isaac's place on the altar of Moriah when Abraham was asked to sacrifice his own son. It's seen in the Passover lamb and the blood daubed on the doorposts in the last of the ten plagues of Egypt when the angel of death flies over the houses of Egypt and kills all the firstborn children but the Israelite people who had followed God's instructions were spared. It's seen in the institution of the sacrificial system and it's seen as we've heard in the scarlet rope of Rahab but also in the thousands of years of sacrifices performed at the tabernacle and in the temple. The scarlet thread runs all the way up to John the Baptist's declaration in John chapter 1 verse 29 when he points to Jesus and says, Look, the Lamb of God, meaning the sacrificial lamb, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And it leads eventually to the foot of the cross where Jesus laid down his life for all mankind and his blood flowed scarlet and Jesus uttered the words found in John chapter 19 verse 30 it is finished in Hebrews 9 verse 22 it says without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness Jesus has done that for you. He's done that for all of us. And that's why the symbolism of the scarlet thread in the Bible is significant. The scarlet thread is the theme of atonement found throughout the pages of scripture. In the book of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 it says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall, be, they shall be like wool. Christ is that scarlet cord that saves all those who believe in him, like Rahab's faith. Here, a woman who'd been in the past a prostitute and had lived a life worshipping pagan gods, 
now risks her own life to hide the Israelite spies and finally comes to faith by acknowledging that God is the God in heaven above and the earth beneath. The presence of Christ in the Old Testament is linked to Rahab in her lineage to Christ and she's honoured by God as being a direct earthly ancestor of Christ. And if you look in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 1, verses 5 to 6, it says, Rahab went on to marry Salmon, who was the father of Boaz. Boaz would become the great-grandfather of King David. Uh, King David, from whom Christ's earthly lineage is descended. And it's also a reminder that God wants a personal relationship with all of us. Every person matters. Whatever the background, whatever they've done in the past. We all have our skeletons, don't we, in the cupboard. God took Rahab from the house of shame to the hall of fame. Let me tell you about a more modern day um, prostitute. Her name is Iris Blue. Uh, she lived in America. She'd been a prostitute since her early teens. Uh, she'd basically been, had trouble at home. She'd been abused by men. Um, and she got into drugs, spent much of her life in prison. And one evening, uh, she was on the streets of Houston, attempting to sell her body again to men who passed by. And she came across some men from the local Baptist church who were sharing the gospel of Jesus. And they explained to Iris that with Jesus, she could be born again. And that evening, that message struck a chord in her, her heart. And she opened her heart to Jesus. And she describes her conversion on that street corner as like this. She says, I knelt down a tramp and I stood up a lady. There's a, an old song um, that says, something beautiful, something good. All my confusion he understood. All I had to offer him was brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful of my life. The saving grace of Jesus can wipe our past clean. We can be forgiven through the sacrificial blood of Christ, the scarlet cord that binds us to God. It's possible for all of us to live courageously as Rahab did when we face anything dangerous, difficult, painful, and we have to just trust God and do his will and expect success, not allowing anything to deter us. And by doing so, we can receive the desired results of God's deliverance. That promise from God should inspire all of us to be faithful, prayerful, to be true, and to have courage that God's hand will be upon us. Amen.